life with an all-sufficient Savior changes everything. And today we're specifically talking about realizing our redemption, our being bought back from the slavery of sin and being forgiven and redeemed and reconciled and brought into this right and real relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so last week we talked briefly about being in Christ. And I think I said it was 173 times or something like that. I actually went back and verified it this week. And it's Paul, just Paul, in his epistles and the letters that he's written, says, be in Christ, in the Lord, or in him, 164 times. Just in the Pauline epistles. And yet the word Christian is used only three times in the entirety of the Bible. So, what does a disciple of Jesus Christ look like? Well, they are in him. <laughs> that is what a Christian really is. It's a disciple and a follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, uh, let's pray and then let's begin. I've got this... Uh, neat little thing from C.S. Lewis this morning that I just want to read for you real quick just to, again, further talk about the in-Christ phenomenon that we're talking about here. Because life with an all-sufficient Lord and Savior changes everything, changes every part of us, changes our hearts, our wills, our minds, our actions, every part of our being. And so, dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this beautiful morning. Like, how amazing is it that here we are in August, and this is probably one of our nicest mornings that we've ever had outside. And so we praise you, and we give you thanks. And of course, Lord, as we approach your word, we always ask that you tune our hearts and our minds to your will, that we may understand your purpose for life, and as to why we're here in the first place. So Lord, bless us, and use this time to create worship within our hearts and our minds, that we may continue to walk forward as we leave here, not just this morning, but for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, uh, in your grace and for your glory. So it's in Jesus' name that we will forever pray. Amen. All right. So while you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, uh, I just want to read this for you real quick. It's from the C.S. Lewis Institute. It was written originally by John Stott. I don't know if you've heard about him, but he was a theologian, very famous, uh, Anglican church over in England, very Christ-centered. Like, yes, we might have differences in denomination, but very Christ-centered. And this address was originally given in 1983 at the leadership luncheon following the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. And so it goes like this. And think about being in Christ. When we meet some people, we know immediately and instinctively that they are different. We are anxious to learn their secret. It is not the way they dress, or the way they talk, or the way they behave, although these things are influenced by this. It is not that they have affixed a name tag to themselves and proclaim themselves as an adherent of a particular re religion or ideology. It's not even that they have a strict moral code which, which they follow. It is the sole fact that they know Jesus Christ and that he is a living reality to them. Let me repeat that last sentence because it's very, very critical and it's what we believe. It is that they know Jesus Christ and that he is a living reality to them. 
Now, if Jesus is a really a living reality to us, then we can see that that changes everything about us because we walk with him, we talk with him, we are sharing lives with him in his life. We are found in him, although we are separate people. And so, praise the Lord. And then he goes on to say, these people that know Jesus Christ have an inner serenity which adversity cannot disturb. That is the peace of Christ. They have a spiritual power that physical weakness cannot destroy. That is the power of Christ. And then they have a hidden vitality that even the process of dying and death cannot quench. And that is the life of Christ. So praise the Lord for all that he's doing and all that he's done. And that he is indeed a living reality to us within the church because he is our Lord and Savior. And without him, we would still be just lost and wandering without purpose, making life about whatever we want to make it about and, and going through this life in a rather hopeless muck and mire, if you will. Whereas now we have the great hope and the great realization and the great reality of Jesus. And this is his world, his design, and we are part of his kingdom. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14. And just as a little refresher reminder too, Colossians, you know, this beautiful little farming community that really wasn't that well known or that well taken care of. They had the bigger cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis uh, kind of dwarfing them, but yet here they are. And so understand this too, that regardless of where we live or where we are, as Christ's church, we are important to him in every aspect. And this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians is just as relevant today as it was the nearly 2,000 years ago that it was originally written. So Colossians chapter 1. Verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So, this first point. God's blessing, and, and actually, if you look on the back of your thing, you kind of wrote this out, made it really easy for you, so you don't have too many notes, you know, there's lists and examples in there, because this is a very list-oriented type of sermon. There's a lot of information here to gather, and honestly, with so many different topics, we could, we could be here all day, you know, we could be like some of those churches that worship for eight hours. You're all going to be like, oh, no, 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 no. But I, I get it. But at the same time, again, this, this deepness of God's word in our lives, like, it's not simple. Well, it, it is simple, but it's very deep. It's not shallow, and it's not complex. It's very deep to the core of who we are as human beings, and yet very simple, too, in the fact that we're human beings. But we make it so complex and so hard to deal with. This, verse 9, 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is the blessing. That is the blessing of what this is. Paul is writing in this an intercession for the Colossians. He's praying for them. There's a lot that we could learn about prayer in this, in the fact that we pray for each other. It's a consistent thing, as well as, um, you know, it's reciprocated. We, we always go back and forth, and it's a humbling effect on us, and there's a beautiful butterfly going by. I love butterflies, if you know my story. They always catch my attention. It's always like, squirrel. Right, Frank? Squirrel! Butterfly! Butterfly squirrel! So this is the blessing that Paul is asking for the Colossians. This is the blessing that any, any of us that are pastors over a flock of a sheep pray for the congregation, that they continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and His will and understanding the spiritual wisdom that God gives us. Now, if we were to go back to some of Paul's other teachings, perhaps in Ephesians, that we would see that we are born spiritually dead, that we don't understand God's way or God's will for life or His design for life in the first place. We make lives very simply about ourselves. But that's not what Paul's praying for, for the congregation and for the flock of God, that they become united in Christ and understand His will and His design. And God's will is played out perfectly in the gospel and the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as to what life is and what it's supposed to look like. <coughs> Excuse me. And then this knowledge of his will, the spiritual wisdom, this understanding leads us to the benefit of knowing, which is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and pleasing to God. That is the design of all life. We come in, we don't we don't ask to come in. When we die, we don't ask to, you know, die on this specific day. And then everything else in between is what the catechisms describe glorifying God and enjoying Him. And it's very simplest in its finest nature. So, this benefit to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and what we believe about Jesus Christ affects everything about how we worship our Lord and Savior. Is He truly our living reality as John Stott put it, because he is. He is real. It's that faith to believe. It's that historical evidence back in the day. Yes, there's ways to go about it on both sides, but God continually woos and swoons the believers in all aspects of their lives to gently bring them back. God can't force you to love him. That would be monstrous. But God can continue to pursue you and to love you and to show you grace and mercy on your life to keep drawing you back. As we continue to stumble and as we continue to trip over our own sins and our own egocentric nature in all of this, in all of life, you know, from the day we're born and our neediness to the day we die and depending on how old we get, our neediness. <laughs> you know, this is just the, the, the nature and the cycle of life. And so remember this, that what we truly believe about Jesus and what we make our reality about Jesus affects entirely how we worship him and our Lord and Savior. So in this section, Paul gives examples of what it specifically means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord 
fully pleasing to him. And our and our legalistic and our moralistic natures are like, yes, bring it on, tell me what I have to do. But there's not clear-cut, defined answers. And we're not doing this to earn God's favor. God has already bestowed that favor on us by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to atone for those sins, to pay that final price, to... Um, you know, reconcile and redeem as we cannot do as human beings because once we stumble and fall, then how are we justified? How do we justify ourselves? Do our good works outweigh our bad works? That never works out. Never, 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 ever works out. So, bearing fruit from the Spirit is the first one that he speaks of in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. And so, perhaps the easiest way is in the gospel context, bearing fruit refers to obedience to Jesus' commands, but not our obedience to earn his favor, our obedience out of a heart of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us in the first place. And our obedience can only come from a life that has been changed in its very core, a new heart. The Old Testament, many of the prophets speak about the heart being uh, you know, deceitfully wicked and evil. But God, in his new mercy and with this new covenant of Christ, will turn a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Very similarly, the fruit of the Spirit that what God is talking about comes in Galatians as well. And that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is written against such things that there is no law. So we do these things not out of law, but out of love, and to bear fruit for Christ, to see what is good and what is right, and to acknowledge that spirit within us, and then to move forward in that, what is good and right according to God's standards and according to God's ways. So we bear fruit from the spirit, and this is all according to the grace and the mercy of God. And then... The second one, increasing in the knowledge of God and his ways. This is always essential. Like, it's impossible to know how to do a puzzle without seeing all the pieces of the puzzle. And that's kind of what life is like, in a sense. It's a gigantic puzzle of emotions and feelings and situations and tribulations. And we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, but at the same time, we need to increase in understanding why all of these things are. So this knowledge of God, very simply, is the knowledge essential for proper living, according to God's proper design. Also, this knowledge of God's will and his ways uh, enables us to shield ourselves from false teaching. This, this in my hand is the word of God. It is the absolute. When... The Spirit comes within us, and we understand that Jesus is indeed Lord and Savior, and that God has kept all his promises and fulfilled his prophecies through this person, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth that this is his living word. And that is either 100% true, or it is 100% false. But we know that it's 100% true. Like, like the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We went back many, 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 you know, sermon series ago to talking about the Bible. And there's never been a book that's been more tried to be destroyed than the Bible. And yet here it is today. 
and it's still here, and it's still the number one best-selling book of, of all time. But do we do we glean this information from it? Do we learn about the knowledge of God and His will from it? That's always the question. Like, what do we think about our Lord and Savior? Is that the reality for our lives? Have we realized the redemption that we have in our lives of the Lord and Savior Jesus? So this thorough knowledge of God's will enables us to shield ourselves from false teaching. Third, in this increasing knowledge of God and his ways, all Christians need to move beyond rudimentary fundamentals. If our faith, the belief in God's word, his truth, will have an effect on the way that we think and on the way that we live. And that's what we're getting at with all of this. Life with an all-sufficient Lord and Savior changes everything every part of us, every being. Like, some of it's the same, but it changes just about everything within us, knowing this reality in our lives. And so, knowledge of God leads to a transformed relationship with God, as well as relationship with other people. Um, if we've ever been burned by someone before, right? If we've ever been hurt by someone, it is very, very easy to carry that hurt into every single relationship that we have. We don't carry forgiveness, we don't carry reconciliation, we carry that hurt, and we are not open or susceptible to that hurt. But, again, the changing of the heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and the power of Christ within us, and the life of Christ within us, will allow us to see the errors, the sin, of others in their lives and why perhaps they do some of the things they do. It will help increase our understanding for not only our lives and our challenges, but the lives of other people and other challenges so that we don't carry a lot of this baggage that we, that we carry because we don't forgive and we don't reconcile um, into other relationships. So this knowledge of God leads to a transformed relationship with God, hopefully growing in love because I've said this before, and it's always worth repeating, that if we want to grow in love of something, like let's say I wanted to grow in love of fine music, you know, I would probably hang out with musicians, right? I would watch videos, training videos. I would listen to uh, teachers train on music, right? And it's the same thing and the same concept with, with God and Christ. If I want to love God more, I would probably hang out with his people more. I would probably read his word more. I would listen to more sermons. I would watch more videos. Again, just growing in love and growing in this knowledge of this transformed relationship. And then, of course, those relationships are important because it changes you know, every relationship going forward. Not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with all human beings. Because you'll see... That even though, you know, they can be jerks and sinners, they're also beautiful and created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect. That's every human being on the planet, even though we don't act like it or believe it. But then also, are many of these people living with the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? And this is his world, his planet, his design, his purpose. Everything stands on him. For from him and to him and through him are all things. Lastly, this increasing knowledge of God and his ways. Knowledge of God results in our understanding of what has happened around us so that we are not taken by surprise or shaken when sin strikes. 
you know, a lot of people are, you know, fearful right now because of the pandemic. Um, and on the same token, a lot of people are just pretending it's not something. Uh, just the same. That's that's both sides of the coin. There's people living in radical fear, and there's people living in radical disacknowledgement of, of what's going on in the world. But knowledge of God and his plan and his design, or if we would call it like eschatology or you know, even ecclesiology where the church is going, both of these and understanding God's design for life puts a lot of us at ease, and there's a lot less need for these fears or these extremes, because both of those are psychological reactions to hopelessness or just what you're, you're missing, because this is it. For a lot of people, what we're doing right now in their lives, this is it. There's, there's no you know, second chance. There's no going forward. There's no heaven. There's no hell. This is just the reality, and it's a tough reality to acknowledge that this is it, that this is just everything, because it's so stinking broken. I don't, like, everywhere you look, in every person, in everything, in every institution, in every, everything, there's issues. And we're going to get to this in a minute, but, but it is so easy for us as human beings to just very simply con consider and look at all the bad while missing a heart of gratitude and a heart of thankfulness for all that is good. Like, we can pick apart all that's bad, and it comes instantaneously. It's like, it's just clockwork. And how different is a life in Christ that can actually be thankful and, and grateful for all of these changes and, and just the world and understanding the world so that we're not taken by surprise in the world. Because we know that just as Jesus said, in this world you will face tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we live to that, and we hold on to that truth, because that is a promise of God. And we've seen it, and it doesn't take long in your walks before you realize that this world is kind of messed up, you know, like little kids. But kindergarten age, by then, you might have even known it before then. It doesn't take long. It certainly doesn't take long. And then this third section in verse 11, so there's tons of ways to increase and reasons to increase in the knowledge of God and his ways. And then this third part, being strengthened to endure, verse 11, uh, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. There's actually two of them there. This being strengthened by God to endure, to grow in patience, to learn to be joyful, to be thankful. Paul is petitioning God in this section, because remember the intercession, that to equip the Colossians, for God to equip the Colossians with the divine power to know that Christ is who he is and who he says he is, and to be able to do these things. Because we talk about bearing fruit, right? We talk about increasing the knowledge of God and his ways. These are all gifts of God to his people, to his children. So Paul is petitioning them to equip them to be able to endure. And so we talked last week a little bit about the actionable part of grace, and then we talked about the internalness of shalom, or just the internal peace that we have. 
So it's both actionable as well as internal. And so this endurance in the context is that actionable power. It's the power to cope and to be content in all circumstances. And we just went through that in our Regardless We Press On in Christ series when we went through Philippians, that Paul knew how to be brought low, and he knew how to abound. All right, this is not low. This is high. This is low. That's high. All right. He knows how to be brought low, and he knows how to abound just the same. In any and every situation and circumstance, he, he knows how to be thankful and grateful and glorify God. And so endurance is that actionable, uh, just, I don't know what I'm looking for, the actionable word in our lives this time. Whereas patience, this is still actionable, but instead of dealing with situations and circumstances, patience is dealing with people. Patience is dealing with people in this context. And yes, some people need more patience than others, most definitely. But all in all, again, this kind of goes back to the increasing of the knowledge of God as well as the increasing of understanding our brokenness on the inside and the issues of sin that lead us to you know, crush other people and defame God and be against God in, in, in so many of our you know, life goals. You know, it's, it's our way or the highway. And so this patience in dealing with people helps us to see that we can, because of God's glory, because of God's blessing, because of what he does for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, not just on the cross, but in the day-to-day -day life, in the day-to-day -day walk, and to give us hope for the future, all of these work together in the life-changing effect of Jesus Christ and his reality on our lives. And then lastly, this fourth one, joy and thanksgiving. Let's explain it like this. Gratitude in its deepest sense means to live a life as a gift to be received gratefully. Most of us don't look at our lives as a gift. A lot of times it's more so a burden than a gift in a sense because there are challenges that we face. There's health challenges. There's emotional challenges. Uh, there's physical challenges too. Uh, we all have a different walk and a different challenge in our lives. But do we all give each other that grace in our lives to know that? You know, I, I use myself as an example quite frequently. Like, I, there are days I don't feel good. I'm diabetic. I always look good. <laughs> Thank you. But I don't always feel good because uh, my blood sugar might be out of line or something like that. And so I might not be as joyful or as happy. And so you might need to give me more patience or something like that. But you would never know that just by looking at me, right? Because I look so good, you know? Like, but, but I do have those things. And there are tons of people with internal health complications. And then there's, you know, ones that we're, we're able to see. And then the emotional challenges or the mental challenges, like mental health and well-being, uh, something very familiar with my, my life, too, as well as, you know, my family's life and uh, even within church life that, there is so much going on and we are so easily susceptible and we we are our own worst enemy. Like we kick ourselves when we're down in a sense. And during this time of quarantine and during this time of the pandemic when some people are fearing, other people are ignoring, 
uh, you know, and everyone in between. Supposedly, the suicide prevention hotlines are all up like a thousand percent. Uh, you know, the hopelessness is amplified in the world because we see the trials and the tribulations and the challenges that people are going through. Like, it's very easy to pick apart how everything is broken again right now, too. And, and it's just flared up. Like, everyone's tensions are so much higher right now than they've ever been. And this all, again, goes against the, the thankfulness and the gratitude. We have a tendency to look at all the negatives rather than to look at the positives. So it's a difficult discipline for us. And you see in this that this isn't just a, um, you know, a, a feeling. This, Paul actually commands it with joy, giving thanks to the Father, to give thanks, so that it's not that feeling or emotion. It is actually something that is attainable, and Paul has commanded for them to do. So, why is it, and think about this for our own lives, why is it that we can effortlessly find things to complain about while remaining ungrateful for the blessings we do have? What is it in us that remains so unsatisfied in our lives? So, going to the second point here. Reasons to give thanks. And there's no real answer to that question, just so you know. Uh, it's one that we all have to wrestle with ourselves. Christ does fulfill us. Every human being that is apart from your creator has a gigantic hole in the middle of them where they don't understand uh, why they're here or what their purpose is or, you know, they find things in life that they'll try to get their hope out of and then when those things fail or let them down, they're left devastated and crushed in hopelessness. But in Christ, there is that hope. And there is that reason to be thankful. And Paul gives us three reasons here to be thankful uh, amidst all of this, this, this amazing intercession that is just pulled with lists. It's, it's a beautiful expression. So reasons to be thankful. Verse 12. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The very first one. Paul starts off the, the book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I always explain it using the gospel concept of adoption, that we are restored, that we are part of God's kingdom now, that we are his family, we are his sons and daughters. Some people use the phrase children of God uh, just to explain all of humanity. And they're not necessarily wrong, but you really need clarity in this as well. Because while we are all human beings created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect, we are not all children of the Lord Most High. We have not all been adopted into His kingdom. We have not bent the knee and confessed and repented and believed as Christ has commanded us to do. We haven't been changed by the Holy Spirit. We still have that gigantic hole missing within our hearts and our minds. And so there are children of God who are specifically God's, who are sons and daughters, and that's through adoption. And that's because of Jesus living that perfect sinless life on our behalf 
and then doing that substitutionary atonement that was that we were talking about earlier in the worship music that Jesus took the place of the punishment we deserve which is that mercy and that is a reason to be thankful not because of errors in being you know gaining materialism because really with that last question what remains in us so unsatisfied has a lot to do with the culture that surrounds us and materialism. We think that bigger houses and better cars and you know uh, more money, more you know conquests, more friends, more everything is going to make our lives better. But again, it just makes it that much more shallow and that much more complex too when we throw in so many more pieces to the puzzle to try to fill this hole and this gap that will bring us joy in our lives. So this inheritance with Christ is that we will be with Christ when we do pass away and we die and we will be in heaven with him someday. And so this inheritance is something that we can hold on to. It's a promise of God. It is something to be thankful for. And it's something that we could change our lives to be, uh, not that we would change it, but that God will change it to develop this part of gratitude and this love that we can experience for not just God, but for our fellow man, as well as love for ourselves and you know peace for ourselves and understanding that we've been forgiven. Because many people hear it, but we don't necessarily believe it. Just like many people hear about Jesus, but is he the realistic reality of their lives? Like, he, Is he the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus so boldly declares in John? So we share an inheritance. We are adopted. We cannot be unadopted. Hopefully we grow up into spiritual maturity. We don't stay as absolute little children, but always that we need to get our needs met and our needs filled of our Lord and Savior. So, the second part of this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the second reason to be thankful. And so, Christians, although we are liberated from sin, we continue to live in a world that is dominated by it. The prince and power of the earth. This does not take away an iota from the sovereignty of God, because God has a plan. And you know, a lot of times we look at, well, why doesn't God stop this? Why doesn't God stop that? You're, you're downplaying the problem of sin. If you want God to stop doing this and to stop doing that, whatever that sin may be, you're asking him to nuke everyone and everything on the planet. And God is looking and he's waiting with long suffering to bring more and more people to be a part of his kingdom to be adopted sons and daughters. And so, delivered us, okay? There's probably no better example than the Old Testament and Exodus of deliverance. God saving the nation of Israel, bringing them out of the land of Egypt into their own land. There are so many gospel, uh, you know, uh, forecomings of what Jesus is going to do in that story of Exodus and the people. And so this being delivered from the kingdom, I always think about the Red Sea moment, okay? Where their backs are up against the Red Sea, they're living in the land of death, in the land of Egypt, but God miraculously parts the Red Sea and brings them over to the other side, which is salvation. So he is literally bringing them from death 
on the one side of the Red Sea, surrounded by Egypt, to life on the other side of the Red Sea. And that's exactly what he's doing. Even though we're here in this world, if we are left with this hole in our hearts, if, we, if this is it, if this is our lives here at this present moment, and that's all we have to look forward to, then there's nothing to be delivered from. You know, no one will want you know, to go and be delivered. But if you have a longing that has grown within you by the power of the Holy Spirit to know that this world is really a mess and that there is something wrong with it and it's broken, and no matter how hard we want to fix it, it's impossible to fix it because it requires fixing every human being on this planet, then we're talking about deliverance from sin, from the darkness of the world to the light of God's kingdom. And that's exactly what we as Christians have come. We realize more and more as time goes on and as we see this word, God had a beautiful design and a beautiful plan for life when he created it. But we also see, as we grow more and more in God's knowledge and wisdom, that there is this ridiculous darkness and the prince of the power of the air and how Lucifer fell because he wanted all the glory for himself rather than to continue to give the glory to God as was rightly so and as was rightly required. So that fall, that darkness, all that came all that hopelessness, all that fear, all that loathing, all that hate is abound here. But in the kingdom of light and what we have to look forward to in the future, he has delivered us from this brokenness and this darkness to the glorious future that we have in Christ and the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that we have day to day in Christ that God is with us to who can be against us. So, this very last part, this redemption, this forgiveness that we talk about, this verse 12, 14, sorry, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It, it amazes me, and it, and it always will amaze me, that God forgives us. Because we could very easily, like, I lived 35 years in darkness in my life. Like, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up anywhere near the church. In fact, I thought the church was full of people who didn't know how to think for themselves. They were just little lemmings, and they were going to go all over the cliff by themselves together. Because that's what they wanted to do. They're a special little club. You know, they just want to build each other up and love it. But that's, that's not what the church is. The church is, like I said, the adopted sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. And this forgiveness that God gives us when we so like rampantly and recklessly go astray from him, while we defame his creation, while we destroy his planet, while we blaspheme his name. That's one of the most amazing things to me, too. You will find the most staunch unbelievers saying OMG or JC or, you know, any of those, you know, as swear words. But they have nothing to do with him. But isn't that fascinating that, that he's a swear word, that he's blasphemous? And that's what we do as human beings, and we walk away. <coughs> and also, you know, like several weeks ago, I gave an example of, you know, teenagers, how teenagers are rampant and they like to go away. Uh, I even used my daughter as an example in this, in this time. But 
how amazing is it to, to see that, you know, in this rebelliousness of my own children and whatnot, that I see the rebelliousness that I myself have given to my Heavenly Father by not acknowledging his reality and his way of life that I've gone my own way. And so redemption, in its greatest terms, means to be bought back. It means to be bought back. Because when we're born, we are slaves to ourselves. We are slaves to our own sin. We are slaves to our own way, our own design for life. But God has bought us back, and with a costly price, the blood of Jesus. By having and sending his son to live that perfect, sinless life, and when God substitutionarily atones for the punishment that we deserve in the life of Christ, that we became his righteousness, which is amazing to me, that we have been redeemed, that we have been bought back from this. It's not to say that we won't ever have issues or struggles, because it lives within us. It constantly pulls at us, this, these emotional struggles that we have, or the physical ailments, or just challenges uh, as a human being, from one human being to another human being, and just that, that sin of hate and pride of life, that we are redeemed because of what Jesus has done, and that we have that, and that is a reason to be thankful. And also, this forgiveness that our God would love us so much, that he would forgive us all of these trespasses, and not just the past ones, but some of the present ones, as well as also the future ones. You know, I say this too, that the Old Testament you see and hear and read a lot about human, not, not human sacrifice. That was, that was the Baal worshippers. They did that. And, uh, but animal sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And that's exactly, you know, because Jesus came, we don't sacrifice animals anymore. There isn't this need to do this. Because Jesus is that once-for-all, spotless, sinless, blemishless Lamb of God in our lives that will atone for that for eternity. And so, repent and believe to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. <clears throat> to have contrition in our hearts, the sorrowful nature that we indeed have wronged our Lord and Savior, as well as conversion to turn from our ways, to understand God's ways and God's design for life, to see that he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And so, all right, let me bring it all together, because there's, there's so much here, as you saw, and, and this has gone on for a while, but... These six verses are amazing for our understanding of the new life that we experience in Christ. Okay, From those four facets of what we talked about in the first point of the blessing of God as well as the new potential in Christ to see that we bear fruit, we increase in knowledge, his knowledge of God and his ways, we're strengthened to endure, to grow in patience, we learn to be joyful, we give thanks. This is all new life in Christ. Because we were not thankful. We were not grateful people. We were self-centered, bent people on our way to our own destruction, you know, uh, you know, hating others and being hated, as, it, as it's written in Scripture, too. But with this new life in Christ and these new changes and growing in the grace and the peace, as well as the faith 
And the love are life changing. They're life changing when you realize that. And when you see that. And then again, that three part repentance in our lives that God wants us to apologize. You know, that's like the beginning of it. We start, Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed poor are those who mourn. Those both have to deal with acknowledging our spiritual realities of what we have neglected to do in our lives before meeting Christ. So being poor in spirit, that's understanding that we are indeed spiritually dead, that we are indeed spiritually broken, and we need help, and we need a Savior, and we need a right path. Just like understanding mourning, that's mourning over sin. That's that contrition I was talking about a minute ago, that sorrowful nature in our hearts, because we realize that we have wronged God, as well as we've wronged countless people of God over the years, but we have wronged God. And so, our all-sufficient Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has bought us back from this end that we were traveling down, this, this wide road of destruction. And now he brought us through the narrow gate, and now we walk with him through that narrow gate, and redeemed us from that sin and that emptiness of life to call us to a life that bears good fruit, and glory to God. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. It is so full, and it is so rich, and it is so meaningful. Lord, I just hope that we have done you justice, that you have uh, used the Holy Spirit in this time to increase our worship, to increase our understanding, to increase our love for you, as well as for being the church and one another. So, Lord, uh, we just pray for your richest blessings, that we may continue to grow, that we may not stay as absolute little rudimentary children in our infancy, but that we can continue to grow and mature in Christ, that we may stand confident and tall on the solid rock that you are, and that when trials and tribulations happen, as they will, as you promised, that we can find joy, that we can still have that quiet confidence to know that you are in control of all of the situations and circumstances surrounding our life. Because you have redeemed us, Lord. You have forgiven us. You have loved us. And you have shown us mercy when we don't deserve mercy. Because, Jesus, you have died at the right time while we were still enemies of God. And so we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the thanksgiving in this morning. And we just love what you're doing in, in our hearts and our minds. And may we just continue to love you, to know you, and to serve you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name that we will.